Welcome back to ICYA Raw, the podcast from the corner of Salter and Aberdeen in the north end of Winnipeg. Today we're talking, well, we means Kent Duick, our executive director, is talking with Sel Burrows, a long-term community activist. He's lived in uh, the north end of Winnipeg, specifically in the Point Douglas area, and uh, for much of his career he was, uh, well, he's been actually many things. He worked in government for a long time through most of his career, mostly in the NDP side of the government. And then uh, in his later life, he spent a lot of time as an activist. And currently in Point Douglas, he runs something called the Power Line, where in the neighborhood, if people need help with whatever issue they're facing, they they call into the Power Line. And uh, Cell has a lifetime of connections and people who are going to help out with whatever problem comes up, and then he makes some calls and a lot of things get dealt with. So they've had some really good success in building healthier communities in the Point Douglas area. So today, Kent and Cell are sitting down together because we thought along the theme that we've been hitting in the last few podcasts of working with people who you don't necessarily agree with on everything, well, Kent and Cell don't necessarily agree on everything, but they are very good friends and have a really deep and long-term friendship, um, and some of their creative energy comes from probably not agreeing and and then agreeing uh, fully on other things. And so they find uh, common ground and sort of when you stay relationally connected to people who you don't necessarily agree with, I think you maybe get a little bit closer to the truth because if you don't have your own ideas challenged, they also don't get refined. And so Kent and Sell are a good example of that. And I think that's what you're going to hear in today's podcast. All right. Look forward to talking to a good good friend, Cell Burroughs. Cell and I have uh, have known each other for a number of years. And we're into, this is our seventh uh, in a podcast series right now. Numbers, lucky seven. Lucky Cell. seven, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we... Um, We've been working together for a number of years. So how many years have you and I kind of been in connection? I think it's at least four, maybe four and a half. Really? I thought yeah. it was longer than yeah, that. could be. You know, I, I lose track of time. All I know is that uh, when I need to call you, you answer my phone calls. And, uh, and we have sat together many, many times trying to figure out some strategies to make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I can recall our first meeting was a breakfast at Nietzsche Commons. That's right. And uh, and uh, from there, you know, it's in the classic uh, sort of relationship. You feel each other out yeah. and and you were probably thinking, who is this guy? And I'm like, what's the Sal Burroughs about? And, but uh, it didn't take us long to kind of hit stride and go, this could be fun. Yeah. We both wanted to solve problems rather than just talk about them. Yeah. And uh, at my age, I'm past talking about problems. I'm only interested in solving them. It seems to me you've been past talking about problems for a few years already. Oh, yeah. Because you get so much done. <laughs> yeah, we do get a lot done. And, uh, you know, learning uh, learning from experience, and but not stopping learning is really important. And uh, I'll steal a bit of your thunder. I will... Uh, one of I follow many different philosophers, but one of them talked a lot about using your talents, and I happen to be very good at organizing. That was a talent I was given, mm-hmm. and so I've chosen to use that to try and alleviate poverty and hardship in the inner cities for well, many different ways for the last fifty odd years. So, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, and it's uh, you just you, your name just keeps popping up, and uh, and and um, well, favorably, but just like myself, not always favorably. Right? I hope so, not. I hope not. Then I wouldn't be successful. No, you've made a few enemies. Oh yes, yeah. and uh, most of them I'm proud of. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, sometimes it's important, uh, you know, to make sure that you're 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 pushing the the boundaries and trying to actually, if you want to make change happen, yep. then you have to create a sense of urgency. And sometimes people need to be kind of stirred into believing change but can happen. One of the things that's really impressed me is the supporters I've got in high office across political and social spectrums. Um, there are people, you know, I'm a avowed New Democrat. I'm a person of the left. That's the philosophy I've adopted that I think is going to be the most useful in long-term of alleviating poverty. But there's people who are cons- very conservative, people who are, you know, anti-left, but I've formed rela- working relations with them that have served me very, very well. They've been very helpful. You know, I'll mention uh, Court of Queen's bench judge uh, Vic Taves, you know. Mm. Uh, my wife was his family's... Uh, nursery school teacher we got to know him as a person rather than politically and we disagree politically but he's been a major help in in North Point Douglas from time to time and that's not sort of the norm of people picking my side and the other side and I well, think. I think that was a little bit of our connection was that uh, I mean I would be conservative and and uh, so you and I don't agree on everything no and uh, and yet We've uh, we formed an alliance for a purpose, and and maybe we can talk a little bit about that purpose. Like, I, like yeah. why? Why should we be working together? Why should we be? I mean, a lot of people should would say we shouldn't even be talking to each other. Cell, so we've we've violated some some deep law. I think, yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, and that's one of the problems we have. <laughs> that the problems we're trying to solve still exist. I mean, my main goal in life uh, for the next as many years as I may have, is to try and figure out why we failed at alleviating poverty. Because everybody's been working on it for the last 50, 100 years, and we failed. It's getting worse, if not not better. And so I've taken a, from living in the inner city, uh, knowing poor people intimately, being in their houses, started looking at different solutions. And bang, we, you and I started talking about one of them, and that's the fact that in this day and age, to, to get a decent job and earn a decent income, you have to have a good education. Mm-hmm. And I was able to discover that we have a huge number of kids that were not attending school regularly. They're not getting an education, even though the system says they should be. And you picked up on that, and uh, we have just had a, yeah, we've had a good, oh, fantastic working relationship. Mm-hmm. And some things haven't gone quite as fast as we would like. No. Uh, I just know further to that point, the Brookings Institute points out a research piece that in order to have a life where you avoid poverty, you need to do just a few things. One of them is to graduate from high school. Yep. Number two is to uh, get a job of any kind any type, because one job allows you to lever up and, and, and get a, a, another job. And thirdly, wait to having ki- for having kids until you're in a supportive relationship, one that will, where you can co-parent. Yeah, and for someone like myself who's lived with and around people who are poor, those, those three points are absolutely, absolutely phenomenally strong. I would add from Manitoba perspective, because it's a very 
particular Manitoba problem, uh, doing something about FASD. You know, how do we mm-hmm. how do we manage to uh, stop having so many kids with fetal alcohol sy- s- syndrome disorder, um, which is a preventable disability and results in almost all of them ending up living in poverty as well. But that's a specialized situation. Yeah. But those we go back to those three. If I look at my list of things I've yeah. got down here, they're the same same things on that list. So, okay, you're talking about the fact that over the last 50 years, we really haven't moved the needle much on the issue of poverty. And and you're thinking about what what are we what are we doing wrong so what are the what are the lessons you're taking away what are you, in terms of your thinking well one of the things we've done is we've become so totally oriented towards the individual and saying the individual's poor what are we going to do to help that person stop being poor and haven't realized that that person is surrounded by the most phenomenally powerful support group of like-minded people who think going to school is stupid getting a job is stupid uh, getting stoned every chance you get is the best way to live life. And so we need to start looking at how do we empower the positive forces in the community. And I get really angry because everybody says, oh, poverty is the cause of, of crime and such like. Crime happens in poor communities because the poor communities don't feel powerful enough to protect themselves. Most poor people are not criminals. Most poor people are not uh, involved in in negative activity, they're busy trying to survive. Yet the community they live in, they are the victims. They are the vulnerable ones. And so, a huge piece of what we have to talk about is empowering the positive people who live in those poverty communities, whether it's in the north or in mm-hmm. the inner city of Winnipeg, and empowering those people. And that's one of the things that you know I got a couple of nice awards for that in our community of North Point Douglas, hey, you know, the bad guys don't have a chance because everybody's watching, and the minute they set up a drug dealer, the minute they set up um, beating the, a, a partner or something like that, people make calls and something's done about it. Yeah, so so in terms of that, that um, sort of dist- or moving away from focusing on the individual and thinking about the people around that individual. What do you see in terms of the people around that individual? Let's say somebody who's selling drugs. Who's around that person that's that's sort of propping that lifestyle up? Well, it's an interesting situation because I've spent much of the last 15 years going after the low-level, mid-level drug dealers. Um, a neighbor of mine died from a fentanyl overdose less than a month ago. Mm. Um, and so... I, I really see the dealer as the person who's preying on the, the weak. But also two major studies have come out recently, one out of BC and one out of the C.D. Howe Institute, which is a, not a good lefty organization, good conservative organization. The title of the uh, C.D. Howe Institute is roughly, Why do, does 99.9% of the money laundering go free? Money laundering. The other report out of BC and confirmed by the C.D. Howe Institute is that over $3 billion a year is laundered, of dirty money is laundered out of Manitoba every year. So you've got to have big financial institutions involved. You can't move $3 billion through penny-ante little things. And that's all that money is coming either from drugs or from prostitution. And so I'm looking at 
looking at the whole gamut of what goes into supporting the negative subcultures, the negative peer groups. Gotcha. Every every parent's greatest fear is your kid's going to get in with a negative peer group. Well, in the inner city, we have very powerful negative peer groups, and we have to look at both at the top level, where money the money, the money the, laundering, and at the bottom level where the guy is, uh, instead of going out and getting a job, is selling drugs and causing horrendous harm in the community. And in terms of uh, your observation of working with the individual, uh, how do you how do you draw someone out of that that lifestyle if the pressures around them are are yeah. so immense? It's very very difficult. And uh, you know, I look back over my many years and many success stories and many failures. Um, somewhat at some point, that individual has to be wanting to make the change. Has to, some mm-hmm. of the drive has to come from within. Um, you know, too too often we say, "Oh, we can't blame the victim." Well, the everyone when we talk about school attendance, for example, yeah. who's responsible? Well, the parents are responsible, the kids responsible, the schools responsible. Everybody has a bit of responsibility. So it we can't just say, "Well, you know, it's." all the system's fault that the, ch- the child doesn't have some responsibility as well. So I'm talking about having a sense of buy-in to improving their quality of life and then providing the supports to counteract that negative peer group. And you know what? Recreation's one of the big ones, and they've cut off almost all of the inner-city recreation. The, the last 10 years, the uh, city taxpayers have seen fit to uh, make sure there's great recreation in the suburbs and in the and next to nothing in the inner city. Sorry, that's yeah. A side no, that's side a sidebar, but it's it's vital sidebar to yeah. to the general discussion. Um, I, I know that. Uh, uh, one of our staff talks about how uh, kids in the suburbs uh, they talk about which hockey team they're gonna they're gonna roll with and and in the in the inner city it's like it's like kind of a selection around gangs yeah right? so it's almost like yeah. the replacement yeah. so it's yep yeah. on in on my website I have uh, no team jackets they'll wear gang colors I used to be an inner city rec director forty years ago and I had city championship teams out of you know the Norquay community center in Norquay. Uh, um, freight house area, so mm-hmm. my baby's way back. Now there are no teams at all. Yeah. The, the kids have no options to to play on teams, and of course they're going to get into trouble. But there's much bigger issues. It, school, getting that grade twelve, as you mentioned right at the beginning, keeping kids in school, getting them to attend class is absolutely essential, and we need. You and I have been pushing government. We've been meeting with government continually at the ministerial level, the deputy minister level, the assistant deputy minister level, director level, Mm -hmm. saying everybody has to accept responsibility to make sure those kids attend school. Because if they don't, they will be poor, and the chances, the pressure's on that they will get involved with crime and with drugs. And we are having mind-boggling difficulty getting those people who are well-paid to do their jobs to take this 
ser- issue seriously. And it, we it's been we're, we're going very close to four years that we've been working on this now. That's right. And uh, and just sort of doing a replay on the kind of uh, progress we've made. It's it's deplorable. I've it, never I've never accomplished so little in such a great amount of time, especially and, with so much promise. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm I've been saying to people that. This is your chance to make a real contribution to eliminating much of poverty in in Manitoba, is figuring out ways to keep kids attending school, to to get an education. I think one of the things that has struck me about some of our meetings is that there's uh, it's kind of like a milieu where uh, where people have can't imagine it being different, and so there's a discour- level of discouragement yeah. at the bureaucratic level, government level. Uh, that 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 ability to imagine, look, maybe we could make a dent here. Yeah. And we've had a few moments where yeah. people have kind of gone, yeah. like, oh, yeah. this is possible. Right? But but you're talking about one of my pet themes. That's the normalizing of the negative, the normalizing of kids not going to school. Hey, when we get to the point right now, 26% of the kids in Manitoba are chronically absent, means over 10% absent. The system's known about that for years, but quite honestly, Kent, until you and I came along and started kicking some butt and pushing really hard, nobody had that stat. Yeah, no, we couldn't. Now they can't ignore it. Couldn't get it. Yeah, the the data is so 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 difficult. Having it, it's, it has not been forthcoming. It's no. been it's been a challenge, and the, because the data, you you can't hide once you see the data, no. and it's it's uh, it's a huge challenge. Yeah. But, you know, we talk education, that's something we're working on now. Uh, what I'm hoping my next major project would be, and people are going to call me old-fashioned or whatever, but I truly believe living in the inner city, talking to people, seeing people, people need to have some form of way they can contribute to society, not just accept from society. And, of course, the, the biggest, most normal thing is jobs. In the inner city, unfortunately, it's not as normal as it should be. And there are many, many reasons why inner city poorer people don't have jobs. And tragically, such a huge percentage of people who don't have jobs are indigenous. And partly we have to, we have a responsibility to challenge some of these negative myths. Oh, Indians don't want to work. You know, how many times have you heard that? We hear it time and time again. Oh, you know, they, you know, they, um, you know, their culture doesn't ha- have, want them to work and stuff like that. Well, has anybody ever looked outside when the garbage is being picked up in Winnipeg? Who are those guys who are doing the swamping, the toughest, dirtiest job in Winnipeg? Those are indig- young indigenous men taking whatever job they can get. Mm-hmm. Have you ever looked up at who's stripping the shingles off the roofs? One of the most dangerous jobs you can get. Young indigenous men. And when you look down into the footings around buildings uh, where people are digging up to do footing restoration, it's indigenous young men that are involved in that. So, On the other hand, anybody who goes to Paint Lake outside of Thompson and sees some of the best forest firefighters in the world strutting around, feeling pretty damn good about themselves, they're young indigenous men who have been hired and have been valued. And we as a society have a systemic racist thing, and people hate that terminology, but I'm going to push it right back because we know that given the right circumstances, indigenous people will work, will join the workforce, and yet that is the highest rate of unemployment. And we desperately need 
a multi-pronged approach to allowing people to get into the workforce and getting people working. Once people are working, statistically, we know there's the social issues, the crime issues drops dramatically. And yeah. that way is one of the ways, because all of a sudden they'll have a new peer group, the people they work with, mm-hmm. rather than those negative peer group who says, ah, stupid to get up in the morning, you know? Yeah. So. I, I, I know, I think um, a number of uh, number of weeks back, a woman who owns a company here in Winnipeg called me and said she had a job, it was a very specific kind of a job, and she wanted to offer it to a youth from our community. And so I, I talked with my staff team, and you want to give a good recommendation, and we found a young man who, who fit the bill. And, and just to see... Um, the, the transformation that's taken place in this young man's life, and I follow up with that employer. I spoke with her again this week, and just to hear the good results of how it's yeah. going. And so I always think, you know, I in my line of work, I do a lot of fundraising, yeah. but if I had to choose between somebody offering one of our youth a job or a donation of yeah. $50,000, I'd say the job, yep. because it's the highest form of yep. charity to yep. offer somebody uh, a way out of and, poverty. And the reality is... This is a task for the private sector. Government has a role. Social agencies have a role. But in the end, it's the private sector that creates most jobs and does most of the hiring. And we must, must convince the high rollers and the small rollers in the private sector that they have a responsibility to reach out, find Indigenous people, find people from poverty communities, and employ them. Entry-level jobs to start, with potential for uh, improvement, facing failures, but always looking to the future that we're sick and tired of Manitoba being having the highest poverty rate in Canada mm-hmm. and the highest crime rate. The private sector must join in that really major, major effort on creating jobs for people who right now are alienated from the job job market. We can win that. Mm -hmm. You know, think of if most of the kids were getting grade 12, think of most of the employers were willing to employ people who are traditionally unemployed. Hey, is that not one of the recipes for success? For sure. And you know, here's where, you know, Sal, you lean a bit left and I'm a little right wing, not right wing, but I'm, I'm a conservative, right? And, and, uh, so, so again, with Inner City Youth Alive getting less than 2% of our funding from government, I have to get out there and talk to business people and, uh, and, and appeal to their, their good senses mm-hmm. about what we're doing. Yeah. And what I see out there yeah. is I see, I see businesses that really do want to make a social impact. I don't see money-grubbing, nope. greedy folks that just are out for me and my own. Nope. I, see, I see businesses that do want to be a part of something big. I've been involved in two small projects, one in Thompson with the Boys and Girls Club many years ago, where we identified 32 kids that needed, that had no work history in their families, and but were hanging on by their fingernails in school. Mm-hmm. And we hired a young Métis woman, and she went out and found 32 jobs in the private sector. No subsidies, no nothing. Yeah. Well, 30 of the 32 worked all summer. A couple of them failed and had to be replaced. But the private sector guys, people came through when they were asked and given support. We did similar type project here in Winnipeg. And partly, somebody's got to ask them, and somebody's got to set up the track where the employees can move 
smoothly into the jobs once we find the employers willing to do it. And unfortunately, what ha- has happened is we've had too many pilot projects, mm-hmm. too many good little projects like the two I worked on. Um, you know, Kevin Chief worked on a really good project, but again, too small. We're talking thousands, yeah. thousands of jobs. Every inner city kid, every northern kid should have a summer job. You know, let's job harden these kids. Mm-hmm. And let's, that's one of the major roots out of poverty. So, Sel, uh, we think about, so, so the, the role of the private sector. And uh, there's room for the for government yeah right what how would you how would you delineate kind of the difference so we we know what the private sector can offer what is what place does government have well i would see government doing what uh, they they should be able to do best is doing some coordinating and one of the things you do need is i estimate for every 30 kids young men young women moving into the workforce you need one support person mm-hmm. and for example if we were looking at putting together two, 3,000 summer students, we might need 100 uh, uh, university students or stuff who are there to support both the student and the employer. Well, that's existing money. The government mm-hmm. already puts out money for summer jobs. How about if they put out that money for summer jobs for people supporting other people getting summer jobs? You know, And so there's a role for government to do some coordination. Um, but I think... The, the private sector and the social service sector, Inner City Youth Alive, organizations like that, getting out and making it a movement, making it something where people say all of a sudden, hey, there really are jobs. Hey, I better mm-hmm. take advantage of that. This isn't, this is real. Well, and, one thing I'll just kind of take this jump in here to say, this, is, this has been my heartbeat from the very beginning of Inner City Youth Alive. And we, during this pandemic, uh, we, we have a crisis here. Yeah. And, and so uh, one of the things that we've, we've decided to launch, and we're an inch away from, from doing this, is uh, we have a property on Magnus Avenue. And we are going to be building a duplex on there using youth from the community. And, uh, and our operations guy, Tom Cameron, shout out to Tom. He has a deep understanding of what our kids walk with in terms of his life journey. And uh, Ronald Travers, who's also going to be working alongside a young man from our community as well. And so we're going to be building a house yep. and in the process, building youth building job skills, building respect. And, uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, and, and, and the thing is, uh, as again, uh, an organization that we can be pretty nimble. My board, I said to them, uh, when we talked about this idea, I told my board, I said, we are going to build the plane while we fly it. Yeah. And they said, go, and, do it. And you know, Kent, you know what my response is? This is fantastic. Now go out and do it 500 times more. And scale it, scale it. it. Go big, go Mm -hmm. big or go home. Because if we don't have sufficient jobs, real jobs, that negative peer group is just going to keep pulling them back. They'll go out and they'll get, the kids will get a job once because there's this really good project. And when it's finished, they fall right back. Mm -hmm. But if there's a whole series of real jobs where there's a shortage of of employees and more jobs than than uh, then we have employees. Then we know we'll have won. Then we'll say real jobs. I mean, this is you sell. It's doing it and keeping it real. So you're talking about, uh, you know, some of these little test pilots that we do that's sort of like dabbling. But you want to see this translate to 
young men, yep. young women yep. who get real jobs yep. that change their yep. life for their whole life. Yeah, we know that uh, retail is a huge, huge employer. Well, we've got one organization just moving into North Point Douglas that's going to set up a thrift store and use that to train people, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've said for years. Well, hey, you know, we should have thrift stores operating that that operate and train people from the community where they're... Yeah, a little shout-out to Scope. Yeah, yeah. Just recently I, I don't know them personally. Promise. I've just read about them, but they're very close to my house. And uh, I'm really excited to go and shop at their thrift store. I have always buy at the thrift stores. But theoretically, we have to get past the pilot projects. One of the problems with pilot projects is that the middle class thinks something's being done. Hey, we got 30 jobs out there. Isn't that great when we need 3,000? Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful of not doing too many pilot projects if they're not building the scope to involve thousands and thousands of kids expecting failures, expecting kids are gonna f- not mm-hmm. going to make it the first time. But damn it, we can make that change. We yeah. can get them going to school. We can get them uh, go- going to jobs. But it's going to take a whole different orientation. A lot of very high-paid people have got to start doing things differently. I've maintained for a long time, sorry, social work friends, social workers should be working shifts, just like police and firefighters mm-hmm. and paramedics, uh, nurses. It, it's going to take us rethinking kind of our approach to poverty on on yeah. mass. Like yeah. one of the things that I will say right now that is actually a bit of a radical sort of a it, it, it implicates me, mm-hmm. and that is that uh, again doubling back to the idea of jobs is that we have a lot of charities in our community, and and I would obviously believe that what we're doing is very very important. Mm-hmm. And when I walked down Selkirk Avenue, back when North End Community Renewal Corporation kind of got started and they were doing some of the community studies, and so that used to be a hub of business activity. Yep. Uh, remember the shoe store there? Was yep. it? Uh, Col- um, oh, man. Yeah. There was a shoe store. Yeah. There was a, there was a I, bunch of business in there. I know the one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, small little place, right, but... They're, they're gone. N- now when you walk on Selkirk Avenue, you see agencies like ourselves. Yeah. We're not yeah. on Selkirk no. Avenue, but... A lot of social service agencies, yep. and you know, we need helpers, mm-hmm. and we need we need uh, groups that that have a heart for the community now. But but again, when I think of jobs, like yep. it's the importance of yep, and uh, we need all we need entry level because people have to learn to work. And if you've grown up in a family where other people haven't worked, you haven't learned some of the basic skills of why it's important to get to work on time and things. So there are real issues that the individual has to deal with. Mm -hmm. There are real issues that social agencies who are working with them have to deal with and business and government. So we've got a whole slew of things. But part of it is orientation. If, If we start throwing our orientation into doing things that help people get out of poverty rather than what I see too much of, sorry, social agencies, you're doing a great job. Say it's help so. Helping people live poor. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Helping people live poor should be such a short-term thing. Mm-hmm. And our social agencies, all their efforts should be, how do we enable these people not to be poor anymore? I think 
our our belief is that in a first in a third world context, relief is a, is kind of the approach, right? Yeah. You can give food out and yeah. and it will help. Yeah. In a fir- first world context, uh, relief is not the way to go. It's development. Yeah. It's how can we how can we build into people's yeah. lives so that yeah. they have that that dignity that helps mm-hmm. them to yeah. to rise up out of poverty and yeah. And, and there's so many so many different methodologies, um, you know. A guy named Sean Loney is doing some fantastic social enterprise stuff that's ma- major, over at major build. employers Wonderful over group, at Build. Yeah. Great stuff. Uh, but the, we have to say the big employers are the big corporations and the little tiny stores. And those are the ones that we must, must emphasize, support, encourage, uh, talk to. There must be a huge marketing issue to the public the private sector saying you are part of the solution mm-hmm. we need you desperately yeah so you uh, you promised me something that you didn't you didn't do uh, when we went into this interview you were going to be measured and and what is this <laughs> you're 76 years old i see energy and vim and vigor and and determination yeah. so where does it come from where do you get this drive uh, you've been an advocate for our community yeah, and you know, I, I I am a privileged person, white middle class, grew up with wonderful family, mm-hmm. parents that took me out uh, and showed me poverty when delivering hampers, little thing like that. Uh, my United Church young peoples used to do street wreck at Gunnell Mansions and Gunnell and Henry, uh, so I got involved in seeing what the reality was, why I made a decision, why I've spent most of my life trying to make change. The thing that keeps me going, Kent, is I tend to succeed. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. if that sounds arrogant, but uh, if I was doing all these things and things were failing, I don't think I could keep it up. But so many of the issues I've been involved with have resulted in, in pretty substantial successes. And whether it's that co-op daycare center at St. Luke's Church that I helped start 47 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I call them my babies all over the place, the things that I've been involved with that have that have succeeded and made change. But as I get older, I think bigger. And I think that we have the capacity to make these changes, but we have to bring the full strength of society to solving them. We can't leave them to agencies. We can't leave them to, you know, little small groups. We need the big power, the big corporations, the deputy ministers, the the senior level of government saying, we are going to do this. We are going to ensure that every kid is attending class. And if they're not, somebody's going to lose their job. Yeah. Yeah, we need everybody to come together, and I think that that even in terms of our our collection, our connection, yes. and the work that we've done together, here we are, two very different people. Yep. I'm a person of Christian faith. Yep. You're a person of the left of the left, and and uh, and our our work together has been wonderful, and uh, and I think that what we're doing together is kind of a it's a call out to the wider society to to join in the efforts yeah. it takes a, it takes a village it takes all of us yeah. and uh, and I just really appreciate kind of your voice in uh, in calling us all to pay attention to yeah. what's going on well and Kent you have been such a huge support to me you know sometimes it gets a little lonely out there when you stick your neck out and I've always known I could call you yeah and your organization uh, 
for a little back strengthening and uh, together we are going to make these changes and yeah. uh yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sel. Thank you uh, to everybody who was able to join us for this uh, this podcast and uh, kind of stir the pot a little. And uh, we'll uh, we'll let you uh, ruminate over what we've uh, been talking about. And uh, and uh, we hope to see it uh, move towards the greater good in our community and to make a difference for uh, for generations to come. Thank you, Sel. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Kent and Cell um, and heard some something informative and new that you maybe haven't heard before. Uh, I would continue to say like and uh, subscribe, maybe rate or leave a review of this podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Uh, if you leave a review, that helps us and uh, to continue doing more of these. And uh, we'll see you next week for another ICYA Raw. Thank you.